Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. This week's show is our 100th episode since we launched in late 2016. So we want to do something special for this milestone, which is why the set looks different than usual. We also have a live studio audience here for the very first time. So our sincere thanks to all of you, our viewers who tune in or stream or listen to the audio podcast every week. And thanks to our sponsors who help make this show happen. For the 100th episode, we are tackling an emotional subject. As a parent of a teenager myself, and with many friends and family with teens and adolescents, it's a topic and a fear I hear about more and more. How can I keep my child safe? No, not from school shootings, although that's real. How can I make sure my child is okay when the threat is from inside, maybe hidden? The rate of teen suicide in North Carolina has doubled in the last 10 years. Self-harm among 10 to 14-year-old girls in the U.S. has nearly tripled since 2009. Nearly one in seven U.S. children and adolescents has a mental health condition, and sadly, half of those will go untreated. This week, we're going to explore this often difficult topic with a panel of experts to try to understand the real facts and where do we go from here. We're also going to meet a Wake County mother who lived through the unthinkable when her middle school-aged son took his own life. Before we go any further, I want to point out that if you or someone you know needs help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. And we're going to have that on the screen during the show. I want to introduce our first guest. First to my left, we have Dr. Carrie Brown. She is the Chief Medical Officer for Behavioral Health and Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities at the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. A mouthful. That's all right. Dr. Brown is a Princeton, Chapel Hill, and Duke-educated professional with a lot of experience here in North Carolina, both at the State Hospital and the prison system. So thanks for being here, Dr. Brown. My pleasure. Next to her is Dr. Mitch Princeton. He is the Director of Graduate Studies at UNC Chapel Hill. He specializes in clinical child and adolescent psychology. He's also an author, including the book Popular, The Power of Likeability in a Status-Obsessed World, which I assume is available where all fine books are sold, sure. like Amazon. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for both for being here. Like, I want to start out. These questions, these, these statistics that I just mentioned, a couple of them are startling to me. Um, Suicide is the second leading cause of death among 10 to 17-year-olds in North Carolina, the 48% increase in 10 years. Dr. Brown, I want to start with you. I mean, what is going on with teenagers today that is different? Well, you know, I think this has honestly been an age-old issue. What I'm hopeful about is that we are all talking about suicide now and I think it's so important that we dispel the myth that somehow asking about suicide will um, increase an individual's chance of death by suicide. That's absolutely not the case. In fact, not asking about um, suicide to, an, to a teen or a youth that's, that's struggling is, is the problem. And so you know, I'm very hopeful that we have a lot of initiatives going on in the state currently, particularly partnerships between the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Public Instruction and the Department of Public Safety, all looking at how do we increase mental health awareness among students, among 
educators, uh, how do we prevent? And uh, you know, I, I, I'm really glad that you put the phone number up first. Sure. I, I actually think if we all took, anyone that's listening took five seconds right now or 10 seconds to put 1-800-273-8255 and program it into your phone. I think we could save a life today just by doing that, just to have it in our, in our phone. And, and that's why I'm really glad that you mentioned that about the idea of not talking about it. Look, I've had, I've, I got some pushback on, this, on doing this topic, um, and we've heard that before about if you talk about it, it's going to cause something. And, and I can understand in some ways, you know, there was a lot of controversy around the show on Netflix, 13 Reasons Why, mm -hmm. which I, I there are some problematic things. I mean, there were some sort of, that was kind of almost like a revenge fantasy. That's one thing. But we wanted to talk about um, it from a, like, what's really going on and, and how do we help our kids. So let me ask you, Dr. Princeton, um, in your work and your research, um, um, same question, really. Are things, um, are things different um, today? Are, are kids dealing with things different than, than, than say, when I was a, a teenager? I think a little bit. We have seen a decrease in the mortality and morbidity of so many different physical illnesses, but in 50 years, we have seen no change in the rate of suicide, and as you say, it might even have increased. Suicide tends to increase in adolescence when we see economic downturn, times of stress, and other forms of stress, specifically interpersonal stress. Now, in the last five years, we're living in a very stressful time. In addition, Kids are experiencing stressors in new contexts and in new ways that most of us who are parents can't even imagine because we didn't grow up with these types of stressors in our lives. Right. I and mean, that's something that I, I, I do think about. Uh, I want to ask you both about this. Um, um, you mentioned things that we didn't deal with. Social media is one of those. Um, I think social media sometimes is sort of the, it gets sort of, it's a catch-all boogeyman. Well, that's, that's really bad. And, and, but we also know these tools do expose children to things online, cyberstalking, bullying, um, the, your book, um, Dr. Princeton, about status and the, and the, 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 the push for being popular. Um, Dr. Brown and I'll ask both of you, do you think that there is um, uh, a, a correlation or potentially a correlation between social media and, and these increases? Well, what we do know is that about 40% of um, individuals who die by suicide have been bullied at some point in their lifetime. And we also know from the North Carolina Youth Behavior Risk Survey that one in three students in North Carolina report being bullied. So I, I, you know, I, th I think the facts are there to, to cause us to pay attention to bullying in all its forms. Right. Yes, now, I mentioned self-harm, because I, I, I do want to talk about, we're mostly talking about suicide, but uh, the, particularly, again, I've got a, I have a, a teenage daughter, I've got a teenage niece, I, you know, of course, I, saw, I know a lot of their friends. I'm, I'm shocked to hear how many of them, um, again, suicide attempts. But the cutting, like in mm -hmm. middle school, is there, are these all on the same continuum? I mean, is, is, is uh, I'll ask you, Dr. Princeton, you're nodding. Is, are they, are they, are they this, is there sort of like this continuum of sort of how you deal with stress and pressure? Non-suicidal self-injury, which cutting is one of the most re, uh, prevalent examples, it's become an epidemic. We have 7% of middle schoolers engaging in that behavior. We have at least 15 to 20% of kids in high school. One out of every five high school adolescents is experimenting with cutting. This is a remarkably high percentage. And what we know about this is, first, 
It seems to be a behavior that kids engage in that's free and easily accessible to regulate their emotions. When they can't get a hold... Explain that. How how does cutting regulate your emotion? So there's research now that shows that the part of our brain that seems to be suffering and uh, activated particularly when we're experiencing emotional distress is interestingly linked to the same regions of our brain that are affected by physical pain. So when one experiences pain and that pain ceases, the, the, the offset of that pain, it seems to also kind of shut down the emotional pain the kids are experiencing. We recommend that uh, a classic technique from dialectical behavior therapy is that kids, when experiencing that pain, might instead put an ice cube in their hands and let that ice cube melt. It, again, causes pain, but in a safe way that doesn't cause tissue damage. Wow. What's important about NSSI, I should say, is that it is now known to be one of the strongest predictors of actually attempting suicide as well. So even a child who is cutting needs to be taken very seriously of being at risk for suicide. So this is not one, I was going to ask you, this is not uh, like, oh, they're just getting attention. You should, and we're going to get into this, particularly in the second part of the show, Mm -hmm. about what parents should do. But I hear this, Dr. Brown, that you take, we should take these things seriously if you're an educator, if you're a parent, uh, a, a guardian. Absolutely. In fact, there was a big study that just came out um, that was done in the UK. It's in Lancet Psychiatry um, in this April that looked at a huge cohort of children and adolescents in the UK. And basically, the the strongest predictor of attempting suicide in in individuals that had had suicidal thoughts was non-suicidal self-injury. So absolutely, it's, it's a warning sign that needs to not be ignored. Um, one of the things, we, we are seeing an increase in diagnoses of, of mental illness, whether it's, it's depression or anxiety, uh, things that, t- is part of that prevalence that we're seeing, could it be that we're actually talking about it more? That we're actually, I guess, could it be a good thing? I mean, could we be seeing uh, maybe more people seeking treatment, Dr. Princeton? It, it is a good thing that the stigma of mental illness is starting to abate. So we have adolescents who are willing to talk about their symptoms a little bit more freely. It is a bad thing that we don't currently have the mental health workforce that we need or the access to help treat all of these kids who are now expressing that they're in grave danger. Right. And I want to get, as, from a public policy perspective, mm-hmm. because, I mean, your role is, 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 is medical, but you're really being in the DHHS. Mm-hmm. We, where this is education matters, so obviously we're dealing with a lot where kids are. We know, for example, that uh, the National Association of School Psychologists recommends a ratio of 1 to 700, which still seems like a lot to me mm-hmm. for students. But here in North Carolina, it's more like 1 to 2,000. Mm-hmm. Um, we have 13 school districts in North Carolina without a single school psychologist on the payroll. And then there are community uh, access. What, from a policy perspective, should we be thinking about? Absolutely. And I think... The, the most important thing from a policy perspective is we really have to collaborate. We are not going to tackle the problem of youth suicide by any single government agency or any single community organization, right? We all have to work together. Uh, in uh, October of 2018, uh, we, North Carolina was, was awarded a grant where the Department of Health and Human Services is working with the Department of Public Instruction um, and the Department of Public Safety, so again, everyone at the table, uh, to do for NC Project Activate. And this is uh, going to go on for five years and is a project in the school systems and in the local communities with the idea being that we need to help students be aware of their own mental health. Um, And we need to help educators be aware of what are the signs and symptoms of emotional distress. And 
then we need to look at prevention and, and you know, what are the best ways to prevent. And I, I do want to add one thing right there. that it, So in North Carolina, there were 44 youth suicides in 2018. Over half of them were using a firearm. And so one thing that we need to really be thinking about and is, is it's not just about, and, and this is the thing, a lot of people think that it's just about securing firearms. Right. Kids are smart. Right. It's, it's not just about securing firearms. They will find, find ways. So if you have a youth that's at risk for self-harming behavior, then you need to have a safety plan right. in order to not have access to that firearm. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that is, I mean, again, it's another one of those things that we, we tend to not want to talk about, sometimes politically, but it, it's again, just at last, with, for you before we bring in our next guest, Dr. Princeton, you, you mentioned in your book, you talk about status and what is that pressure for kids now, uh, the idea of uh, being popular? Well, the, at the same point that we see this increased risk for suicide, we also know that adolescents' brains change. There's a part of their brains that makes them crave a desire to be influential, powerful, visible, um, and dominance. And this area of the brain develops and makes them crave what we all thought of as being cool, but what we now know has also been a way of getting followers and retweets and whatnot. The important thing to remember is that while all of us have that temptation, adolescents have not yet fully developed the part of their brain that you can think of as the brain's breaks, the ability to kind of inhibit your desire to fulfill every urge or impulse. So there is a perfect storm where adolescents are strongly wanting to have that visibility or that status and will do anything for it, will even do anything they can to avoid um, any uh, consequence that may be associated with low status. But they don't yet have the ability to regulate carefully their emotions and behavior when things go awry. Gotcha. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. After that, we're going to continue our discussion, and we're going to be joined by two more guests, a school social worker from Durham County and a Wake County mother who lost her 12-year-old son to suicide in 2017. Stick around. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. We're going to continue our discussion now, and I want to introduce you to two people have, who have joined the panel. To my immediate left is Shannon McDonald. She is a Wake County parent, mom. Um, her son, Logan, uh, took his own life in 2017 at age 12. Um, next to her is Simone Cadu. Simone is a school social worker in Durham Public Schools. Uh, she has a degree in psychology from William & Mary and a master's uh, from Appalachian State. You've been in Durham County Schools since 2015, I believe. So thank you both for being here. Shannon, thank you for sharing your story with us today, and thanks for coming on. Um, you literally have lived through, or living through, um, every parent's worst nightmare. Um, tell us about Logan and what was going on with Logan. Um, Logan was our little clown. He was the youngest of four boys. Uh, he loved to make everybody laugh. He loved other people. He loved little kids, loved animals. We didn't have any idea that he was struggling. We had moved here from Missouri. It's three years this month, so it had been a year and a half. 
um, when Logan passed. And he was getting ready for school one day, and I went to check on him and, and found him, and it was a surprise to everybody. Nobody had any idea that he had these thoughts. And that's, and we were just talking with, um, with our first two guests about that, about, um, um, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about what parents should look for, and I know you're gonna wanna share things too, but um, there were no, we say look for warning signs or things. Um, I guess looking back, now, um, I mean, are there things that you um, you think about that? Gosh, I I didn't. I mean, he obviously didn't come out and say he wasn't cutting. He didn't know things like that. But what um, are there things you look back now and think um, that was something that was off? Yes, most definitely hindsight. Um, when he did have bad moods or anything, I figured you know, 12 years old, hormone changes, adjusting to being. Uh, away from everybody else that he knew and adjusting to a new school, new friends, didn't think. Right, I mean, you had just had gone through a, a big family move change, right. so. Um, Simone, I wanna ask you, um, being a social worker, um, you deal with both the students in Durham and their families. Um, I, I'm guessing that some of the things that uh, Dr. Brown, Dr. Princeton talked about at the beginning are familiar to you. Yeah, we were talking earlier um, and they were sharing about the, the fact that most kids who um, go through a suicide, there is some kind of social aspect. And it was interesting as an elementary school social worker, the majority of the student safety assessments that I have done have been about a kid's home life being difficult um, and not actually social situations. Um, and so that's really, it's interesting to see the dynamic and the shift of, as they get to middle school, most of their focus is more on their friends and then the home and elementary school. A lot of the kids who are expressing suicidal ideation is from a difficult home life or a neighborhood. Right, we, um, uh, the, the organization that, that I lead, uh, we do a lot of work in the areas of adverse childhood experiences and trauma. And I also wanted to ask uh, Dr. Brown about that too. Is that something I guess, is that an increasing prevalence? I mean, Durham Public Schools, I mean, that's, uh, you, you certainly have uh, uh, pockets of uh, extreme poverty and uh, you have issues in, in the community that may that, that come into the school. Are you seeing, is that, I guess you see kids coming in who are already um, um, kind of on guard? Yeah, the most recent um, student safety assessment, and actually the youngest kid that I've ever done a student safety assessment for was six. Um, so this first grader who's supposed to be learning his math facts is talking about witnessing somebody being beat up in his neighborhood and how, how that affected him and how he had started having thoughts about what it would mean to die. Um, and so it's, it's, it's higher and higher and it's younger and younger um, as we have more neighborhood violence um, that's coming up in our neighborhoods. Shannon, I want to ask you, um, you already mentioned that there were things. Are there things that um, I guess you wish you had known then that you know now um, after the fact? Are there things that uh, you know, either you've uncovered or just, again, um, reassessed? Oh, yes, there's plenty. Um, Logan did mention being bullied a couple of times, and he didn't make a real big deal about it. And I was afraid that if I, if I made a big deal about it, if I went up to the school and um, made a voice about it, that it would make things worse. Right. Um, which that can happen. However, I wish I had gone up. I wish that the schools would work more with the parents instead of trying to take care of the bully issues just between the teachers and the students, get the parents involved on both sides. 
Right. And I, I, I'm assuming the, that uh, both you and someone I'll ask you, I'm not going to assume, the idea of talking about it like we're doing today you think is a good thing? Yes, absolutely. All right, Dr. Brown, let me go back to you. Um, hearing Shannon's story, I mean, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking to think about. Um, but again, it sounds like there really wasn't. Um, and what are we? What are? What are we look? What are we looking for? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really heartbreaking. And as I said to Shannon, I, I, I'm I'm just incredibly impressed with her bravery that she's here today speaking out. And that's really, you know, goes to um, speak to Logan's honor. And and uh, you know, I'm appreciative of that. And so, you know. Social withdrawal, bullying, sleep difficulties, cannabis use, non-suicidal self-harming behavior, adverse childhood experiences, all of these things sort of mix in the pot together to, to increase risk. I, you know, the North Carolina is stepping out um, through Governor Cooper's leadership to have an early childhood action plan, and so I encourage you to and the audience to go look look for that on the DHHS website. It set forth 10 very broad um, and bold goals, one of which is social and emotional resilience. And as Dr. Princeton said, there are evidence-based treatments for managing uh, difficult emotions yeah. that, we'll, that we'll are We'll make effective. sure we share on our website when people, folks go to ncforum.org. We'll have some resources, including some of the ones that you mentioned. Um, I do. I want to get a chance to have uh, a couple of our audience members if they wanted to ask a, a question. But uh, um, you mentioned, I'll ask you about this, Simone, and maybe Dr. Princeton can jump in, the impact of poverty um, and also, frankly, race. Um, and is, is it something you think plays in to some of the pressures that the kids are dealing with, Dr. Princeton? I think culture um, and race can play a role. It's important not to confound race and culture with socioeconomic status, because we see those as two very different kinds of influences. Um, people who are low in socioeconomic status may be at higher risk for stress that could lead to suicide, but there are a lot of great uh, cultural uh, norms or um, that can really help, that can really help buffer uh, risk for suicide. For instance, um, an emphasis on religiosity can be something really important or a community to help uh, create support that reduces the risk of suicide among those who are, are stressed. All right, I'm going to get to see if we have any questions over here. Let me grab my microphone. Um, we have a question here. And, and please tell us uh, your name and where you're from. My name is Peggy Owens, and I am with Hope County Schools, the Executive Director of Student Support Services. Uh, to the panel, but specifically to Dr. Brown, what would you recommend in terms of practices and strategies that school systems could use? So well, one of the things I think that is, is most important is this concept of screening and asking about suicidal uh, thoughts and, uh, and non-suicidal self-harming behavior. So getting educators comfortable with asking students and is the number one thing that we need that we really need need to do and you know the other thing that i think needs to happen is that's you know a missing point that we haven't mentioned yet today is parent mental health is crucial to child mental health and north carolina has the opportunity to expand medicaid if we were to expand Medicaid in this state, every parent deserves the opportunity to have access to mental health treatment. 
I often go back to you know thinking about the airplane analogy where you know the steward or the stewardess says you have to put on the oxygen mask on yourself first before your child. That's a great if, idea. Great, the, great analogy. <laughs> you know, if, if the parents can't breathe, the children can't breathe. Right. And so it's, we, we have to make sure we're looking at the whole picture. I think I had a question over here too. Hi, my name is Amy Moreau, and I'm a parent um, of a high school student here in Wake County. Um, she's involved at Sanderson High School in the theater department, and they just did a play this year called 26 Pebbles that really wrestled with the aftermath of the Sandy Hook shooting and how a community responds to the complexity of the issues around violence. But for the students, I think the mental health challenges really is what resonated. And it's got us thinking about a lot of these issues. Um, and one thing I've been thinking about is, um, I think our school system does a great job of helping students um, get, get annual checkups and eye exams and hearing exams. And I'm wondering if there are any things that the school system could do to encourage students to get mental health checkups. like. I'm right, wondering what to, would that be Let's have like. a quick answer yeah. because we are running out of time. Simone, I'll ask you. Yeah, so there's a program in Durham called Co-Located Mental Health, and there's a partnership with a set of community mental health agencies that work within our schools. They're in our buildings. They're providing school-based therapy, and we encourage um, teachers to reach out to student support services members, myself, school counselors, whenever they see any kind of challenging behaviors, and we provide a lot of training to teachers to recognize those behaviors so that we can make a quick referral to people who are in our buildings and can provide that kind of Great. care. Thank you so much. Thank you all for being here. Thank you to our guests. I'm sorry that we are out of time. It's always flies by. Thank you for watching this week. Please go to ncforum.org. We'll have a lot of uh, resources and panel to talk about, um, you know, how we can, you know, be looking out for our own kids and also get more involved. So thank you all for being here, Shannon. Thank you for sharing Logan's story. We appreciate it. Um, and that's it for this week's show. Um, as I said, it's a tough topic, but we're glad to talk about it. Our goal here is to uh, raise issues and save lives. So I hope that, uh, that the show um, will make a difference. So thank you so much. Thank you.